Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by us, the Fried Egg Pro Shop. This is one of the best ways you can support what we're doing. If you enjoy the podcast, enjoy the articles, the newsletter, great way to do it is, is support us through swag. So we have a number of Beedratty polos in the shop. We just added a new putter cover new hats and uh also if you're looking to dress up your office we have photography there office home whatever it may be apartment uh we have photography there it's stunning uh especially if you get the metal variety i highly recommend it anyways you can visit the pro shop at proshop.thefriedegg.com it's master's week the arguably best week of the year and uh, it's upon us. It's been just a few months since the last Masters. For this episode, to preview the Masters, I thought nobody would be better than Shane Bacon. Shane is a host of Golf Today. He does it with Damon Hack over the weekends and tournament rounds uh, during the week, every week on Golf Channel. This year, he will be part of the Live From crew as well as he will be doing some masters.com coverage. So he's dialed in, needed to bring somebody on that's smarter than me to talk about this masters. So we each came up with five things to talk about and uh, we get into it. So this should get you all primed and ready to go for the masters. If you're looking for more coverage, I just a quick reminder, I am on the shotgun start. I host that with Brendan Porath. We will be doing daily podcasts all week long. So check out that in the Shotgun Start feed on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. But without further ado, here is the great Shane Bacon. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Shane, welcome back. It's been a while. Appreciate you having me. Uh, excited to uh, to be on the Fried Egg Podcast. You've got a fancy polo on and everything. Look at you with your... Is that a Seminole polo? It is a Seminole polo. Nice. You're fancy boy. Recently visited. Always good to take a walk around that place. They got that that Walker Cup coming up. I'm jealous. I'm, je- I'm jealous. Have you never been down there? Never played golf in that area. And uh, I think um, we are... Wife and I are planning a... Uh, get out of the Northeast, the real winter, February trip down to Florida next year. That's one of our things. And so I think I'm going to be uh, texting and hitting up everybody I can about playing a little bit of golf. The Swamp? Yeah. Uh, you know, outside of a few places, it's, you could kind of forget about playing golf down there. But the few play- if you're only going for a few days, there's plenty of good places to see. I, I'm listen. I'm not that fancy. Just as long as it's got a tee box, a couple of greens, and I can swing it, and it's not you know 32 degrees and windy, I'm going to be in on it. I, that was the most amazing thing I found. Was it, it was like 75 and sunny every day. It's just unbelievable way to way to live your winters. Um, hey, yeah, you know, Golf Channel personality. We haven't talked to you. You know, you are the host of Golf Today. You host it with David Hack, and uh, 
now you're you're also part of live from i gotta ask you know as a a golf fan who grew up with live from being kind of like an institution of major championships like round ends you turn on live from do you pitch yourself a little bit about being part of that absolutely i mean i uh you know being at the players and get a chance to kind of host it um every day was wild you know getting a chance to kind of be in that seat and work with noda and trevor and it's we're recording on tuesday uh damon hack and i are going to host for a couple hours today and take through some of the pressers i think we got phil and rory and dustin so uh that'll be fun i mean you know i mean being a part of any of this stuff is just crazy and and being involved in the capacity you know i go back to two years ago andy with with you and I kind of bumming around Augusta and you guys obviously had a, had a lot of work. You guys were kind of getting shotgun start going and you had the Bixby house and, and I was over there, but I didn't really have a lot I was doing in the area, you know, in terms of work and to kind of fast forward a couple of years and kind of have these opportunities this wild. So uh, yes, I definitely do pinch myself. I am, uh, I'm excited to be a part of it. It's very, very cool. I, I got, you know, more text uh, during the players uh, than I've, received in a long time for anything I've done. So I can only imagine what this week's going to be like. Uh, we did a, a look back. Um, uh, we do a thing with tournaments we forget. It's a little bit like kind of what you guys do in terms of kind of looking back, obviously way more condensed version for TV. But uh, we did a look, Damon and I did a look back. We called it a uh, master's worth rem- remembering on Monday where we look back at 91 and Woozy's win. And then we're going to dive a little deeper into Rory today. So, you know, it's just fun. It's five minute little hits here and there on live from and, uh, and involved in that coverage is very cool. Sneaky underrated old masters is that Stadler one with Dan Pohl. I love the Dan Pohl story. He he's got a golf course in Michigan called the Pole Cat that he designed. The Pole Cat. The Pole Cat. Have you played it? No, I want to though. I need to see the logo. I know, and uh, he was like he was like a long hitter before, and obviously a great athlete. Like they talked about how he he could have played major league baseball. He was you know three. I think he was all state in three different sports in high school. So you know it, it's it, that was a cool one, and he almost won, but it would have been one of those obscure Masters winners. But yeah, looking back at tournaments is so fun. You just find so much little info, and and Woozy is always a character to to pull back threads on. Yeah, you know, I, I can kind of, I told my wife this one day, I can go back over the course of my adult life and I kind of know how old I was, just dependent on what I was wearing at the time. And one of the cool things about going back in any sports writing, but especially golf, is how they wrote, you know, how they wrote about the players, how they wrote about tournaments, um, the stuff they would dissect. You know, sometimes it was the way they looked. I know you guys have focused a lot on this, the way they looked, the way they dressed. You don't you don't see that as much. I don't I don't feel like writing is um, as revealing as in the negative as it used to be, and uh, and so it's definitely exciting to uh, to kind of look look back on that that type of stuff. And and obviously, I mean, you forget sometimes how many people had chances to win. I mean, that's the thing yeah. about these major championships and these big events is you know players that didn't win one having so many opportunities. I mean, I can only imagine how many times. On this podcast, you're going to bring up Lee Westwood. And when you dive through his career to look at how close he's been so many times in this particular major championship and still hasn't won one. And, you know, I mean, outside of maybe this year, probably will not win one. It's it's defeating. I had a friend of mine text me on Sunday. They were at Easter brunch in Florida and Ernie Els was at the table next to him. And, uh, and I got that text and I was bummed out because Ernie should be up here. You know, Ernie should be flying up to Augusta and playing on Sunday and getting ready for the Masters. And uh, the fact that he's not, 
Uh, it just, listen, the window's short and uh, you only have so many times. It was crazy. The one player I've heard mention that in this press conference this week was Colin Morikawa of all players, who's, you know, one of the youngest players in the field. You know, everybody always says, oh, he'll have another chance. I think that's something that, like, we always talk about with, like, oh, Sungjae didn't get it done last Masters. He, he'll he'll get way more chances. Exactly. But the thing about golf is, like, it is a fleet. It, it, it can be fleeting. We just saw it with Jordan Spieth. We see it with players all, all the time that just lose it. And, you know, we saw it where Seve played his best golf at, at a young age. Like, the chances... You might not get another one. People, we always like to say, oh, you know, he'll get way more chances at it. It's good that this guy won because, you know, so-and-so will has, you know, 10 of these. But it's really hard to win one of these four events every year. Like, there, everybody wants to win one of the four. And, you know, that's that's the thing. There aren't many chances. I was I watched the Tiger doc this week on HBO. I'd never, I hadn't watched it uh, yet. And I watched it, and it <laughs> To, to just kind of go back and remember what Tiger did in the majors. And obviously that was his focus, but you know, any, any great player, that's their focus. And the fact that he just would win them all the time, he would show up the favorite and win them and win them different ways. And I called you a couple of days ago and was just talking about Hoylake and, you know, him hitting iron off all those tees, like the fact that you can do that and pull it off and, and be that consistent. And, and you, you brought up a point, you said the difference in the mentality then, which wasn't that long ago, Versus what we see now in, in, in modern golf, uh, Bryson's press conference was just on. He was talking. He got asked and was talking about uh, different approaches or angles he might take off the tees, uh, and and it's just it's just so different that you know it's it's I want to hit driver unless I can't is the mentality now, and 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 you know not what 15 years ago it was I need to find fairways. That's that's the best chance at success. I know you're a big basketball fan. I'm a big basketball fan, but Tiger in a way is kind of reminiscent of the way Jordan or LeBron has won across different eras of the game and in drastically different styles where both of them did it with sheer athleticism early and talent. And then as, as they've aged, they've gotten it done different ways where, you know, LeBron's just like kind of like a bully now (laughs) he's big and, but it's not just the, you know, in Miami where he was just on a whole different athletic uh, level than everybody else, and he was thinned down. Like now, he's a little, little bit more of a thick boy. He goes down there, and he, he still, you know, you know, reads a defense unlike anybody else, and knows where the ball's going, where the defense is coming from. But like Tiger was that way, where he's won across different generations, different styles, and playing playing different styles. You know, like Hoylake, like nobody would do that now. Like where he just hit iron everywhere, but it, he won that way. It was, it was, it's wild. And and when you watch the replays of the way he approached it and the shots he hit, I was telling you, you know, this guy's hitting a blade two iron. I mean, I had a blade titleist two iron and in, in, in when I had kind of the driver yips in my early twenties and you know, you, you miss it sometimes and you hit it off the toe and it goes like two Oh five, you know, yeah. and the fact that this guy is hitting a blade two iron in the center of the face in the middle of every fairway, uh, was wild. And again, to your point, it's it's that mentality. What do I need to do in this game against this team? You know, I, I've been trying to think of what's the most impressive thing in sport. And you brought up the LeBron thing. And I think I've landed on this. I think the most impressive thing in sport is being a quarterback and winning Super Bowls on different teams. Because you go to different coaches, different staff, different approach, different mentality, different players, um, you've got to get the best out of a completely different line. You know, you've got to get your defense it, it, on, on, at least 
to a level that can be competitive because they've got to be able to, to pull their weight. And so when you look at like a Peyton Manning, you know, winning multiple you know, Super Bowls on different teams or Tom Brady, and you think about how hard that must be, uh, it brings up to what you said. It's Tiger won early in his career when he was longer than everybody else. And then he won a major where he didn't hit driver. And, you know, and then you watch 2019 and it was this, it was a, a different looking golf swing. It was a different looking Tiger Woods. Yeah. And somehow the mentality, the first tee, you know, the whole, the whole story about Tony Finau saying he asked him a question and didn't really get a response. And all of those things might be different, but it's the same mind. And again, that's, that's the key to it. That's why tennis players are so great on different surfaces. It's because they're the same. It's the same mind. It's the same, it's knowing what to do. Tiger is the best ever at knowing what to do to get it done because Tiger knew it was a 72-hole battle, not just a one-day, two-day, three-day deal. I've, I can't remember who tweeted out on that Sunday morning where, you know, Tiger, is his approach and mentality and, and relationships with his peers has changed so much uh, in this last chapter of his career where, you know, he was friendly with everybody. And then I remember somebody tweeted out, I can't remember who, but it was like, Tiger's got that look, that look we haven't seen in a while, like that, that early Tiger look and, and where on Sunday, he wasn't friends with anybody. No. And, and I think that that's like, at the end of the day, when you get down to it, all time competitors, they hate losing more than they love winning. And it's the ones they remember, right? It's the ones that came so close. I mean, it's something I've always wanted to ask Tiger, you know, which major that you lost hurt you the most? You know, which one did you feel like you should have won? It's got to be Y.E. Yang, right? It's probably easy to lean on the Y.E. Yang one because he was so close and actually missed some late putts. But, you know, there's probably some masters in there where he feels like he could have got more out of it. I mean, I go to 2010, you know, that 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 press conference after in 10 where you know, what he finished fourth, uh, you know, first golf tournament in however many months. And you could tell he was frustrated. I mean, there was nothing, there was no positive he was taken from that finishing fourth. He was bummed that there was people that beat him. So uh, I, I would always love to know which one he felt like that because something that I found so interesting, you know, I do the podcast, Get a Grip with Max, uh, with Max Homa. And Max said after the waste management, you know, Max went on this great run this year, before, even before the win at Riviera. And, uh, and he said, you know, I feel like I, I had the game to win at the Waste Management. And I think he finished 41st that week. You know, it, it wasn't – he didn't finish second or fourth or eighth. You know, he finished in the 40s in this PJ Tour event. But he said the, my ball striking was so good that I feel like I should have won that week. It's just show, – it, it's so crazy how thin the line is, right? I completely agree. Like, that's the thing I miss most about not being out covering these events uh, occasionally in person is when you watch it in person, you realize, like, God, it's just a shot here, a shot there. And Augusta, of all the places they play year in, year out, might be one of the where that's magnified the most. It's like, Definitely. did it's it's did you pull off the shot on 13, or did you hit in the water? You make double instead of a potential birdie. Three shots, and it, all of a sudden, the whole fabric of the, of the tournament is completely different. With it, with this golf course where you know there's a car crash everywhere, and that's not the best term, but like uh, you know, just a bad big number around every corner. That's the thing about this tournament is the the line between excellence and disaster is so thin. And 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 we see it, and that and that is again what's so great is I feel like we see it to a certain extent every year. I mean, even in the November Masters, you know, there were opportunities, right? And, uh, and the golf course played so different. But, I mean, you've got to go get it, even when it is playing that gettable. 
And so it, it's such a different mentality. I feel like, uh, and I don't want to sneak into our five things uh, that we're going to get we to. Could, but... You could, you could, just, you could kick it off here. You know, if you if you want to kick it off, we're, we each came up with five things. We'll go down them, and uh, we'll probably have some overlap. We haven't talked about what our five things are. So, so I want to real quick. Uh, you know, you're talking about the thin line and, and the mentality of of this golf course, and what I love about the Masters, and what I think is so special and cool about it. First, obviously, it's it, it's the it's the lone major that we see at the same golf course every year. But it's the veteran players talking about Augusta National. And when they talk about Augusta National, it's always about the mistakes and avoiding the mistakes. And, and, you know, sometimes I I laugh about this each and every year. And I've done it since I was a kid. Uh, I laugh about 13, you know, because when the whole location is back right on 13, everybody hits it front left. And when the whole location is front left, everybody hits it back right. You know, because you just can't err on the wrong side. Uh, We did a deep dive on the 1991 Masters I was telling you about. There was this great quote Jack Nicklaus talked about. So the golf course was playing pretty gettable in 1991. And uh, and Nicklaus in the second round was very much uh, in contention. And he hits it in the water on 12. The whole location was, I believe it was front right in that second round. And he went after it because he said the conditions made him think it was a gettable shot. And he hit it in the water on 12 and he makes triple. And he, of course, birdied the next four holes as Jack tends to do. But he makes triple there at 12. And that kind of ended his chances and he said he goes you know in a, in a different conditioned masters i'm not sure i would have tried to pull that golf shot off so again it's it's just you you see the flag on 12 and it's just floating over there on the right side and you've got a nine iron if you're brooks kefka or you're molinari or you're tony fina and you go i can hit this thing to 10 feet and the moment you get out of what you have to think on this golf course is when the chances of the jacket go away um i want to start my five things though uh, with something I feel like you'll appreciate. You're a guy, uh, much like me, that likes weird stats. So I found this one. We are in a current run at the Masters of the return of the longer first name winners, okay? Whoa. Yeah, oh yeah. So from 1994 to 2014, nobody with a first name longer than five letters won the Masters. It was all short names. From 2015 to now, we've had four winners with first names of six letters or longer. That brings in some of the players that I know you you love in and around the game. The long first name is back. Yeah, I think that's good for like Christian Bazaden out. He was one of the ones I had, I'd circled when I was looking at some of the longer names. Yeah. It's not good for a guy named Lee or uh, Rory. Well, they had they had the run though. You know, lefties have success at Augusta National. Apparently, the shorter the name, it helps. Trying to think of who else, like what what big name? I guess six is six is questionable on length. You know, I'm gonna nitpick there. Like six letters, I feel like it's pretty standard. <laughs> but but Patrick Reed's gotta love it. Dustin, I mean, it's six. There's a lot of six letter. You know, almost all the top ten in the world outside of Job Rahm is six letters. Uh, you're bad, bad for your boy. Yeah. Cantlay's got a chance, you know, the return. Bryson uh, has seen this long first name uh, resurgence help his chances at Augusta as well. So uh, Fitzy, the, you know, the hard, the hard hitting analysis here. I love Cheryl Hatton. I mean, just going down the list, Sungjae. I mean, uh, this 20 year run is, is it, thankfully for those guys, it's ended. I think Terrell's going to get in his own way. The major championships haven't haven't aligned with Terrell. So no. maybe, be, maybe this is the week he changes it. 
exactly exactly i love that you know this that's a good you know non-serious but serious first starter you're looking this is what andy does is he was looking to the top right which means he was thinking of names i could tell he was thinking of of short or long names i'm not sure which way you were going but i could tell i could see the workings in the brain well i i've got a second screen so i was looking at the second screen at okay, the world gotcha. golf rankings okay. so, <laughs> i'd like to think that i could just pull all those names off the top of my head but okay, I, I can't like um one of the things i'm watching is the old guys obviously i'm a i'm a big lee westwood fan but uh Besides Wes, he was looking for his first. You got Justin Rose, Adam Scott, Sergio, Louis Eustazen, all these guys who have had a ton of success. Uh, some of them have won at Augusta. Others have been extraordinarily close all the time. All of them are getting into a little bit of their twilight of their years. Louis 38. He's almost a little unfair to throw in this bucket. But all these other guys who we've watched for decades now play at Augusta National are in their 40s. And... Uh, you know, 225, especially in the case of Louis, Sergio, Scott, and Rose, 225 players have won one major championship. 83 have won two or more. So you're getting, you know, that adding that second major championship really does propel you into a different class of player. You know, like it's one thing, and, and this sounds, this is the rich. You know, this is like being a ten, a hundred millionaire and getting to the billionaire level. I right. feel like in golf, but there aren't that many guys that have won multiple major championships. And I think in this era of golf, we're going to see less of the eight plus major champions, six, even six plus major champions. I think they're going to be rarer. So getting to two is such a big deal in terms of legacy when you're looking at the post Tiger era of golf. Yeah, it, it, I've called this era the the era of the one-time major winner for a few years now, and um, I think that's only getting easier to to call the run. I mean, when you look at the some of the players, I mean, I, I don't call any major win a fluke. You know, I mean, obviously you've got to play really well to win a major. Not even Jimmy Walker. Yeah, but I mean, you know, Jimmy played. I mean, Jimmy. I mean, J Jason Day tried his his hardest to win that. You know, I mean, he makes eagle two iron two iron to make eagle and force Jimmy to to make par there at the last. I mean. He was being pushed uh, his hardest. I mean, you think about Jason Duffner and Keegan Bradley, and there's these players that, you know, I think you'd consider a notable player that, that's, that's probably going to end their career with one major win. I, I love the idea of, of who can get to two. And I, I think, you know, this is a golf course that favors experience. And this is a place that favors experience. And when you're Louie, um, you're Adam Scott, you're Sergio, you're Justin Rose, you're in that crop of players that obviously understand Augusta National and understand to a point what we talked a little bit about with Tiger, right? It's it's understanding this is four days. Um, you know, you, you the first day is important, but it's not overly important. Um, just get yourself out there and, and just get things going. Don't shoot something nasty. Don't come out there and shoot 39 on the front uh, on Thursday. And so, yeah, it's it's going to be, I, I don't know, I, I have a feeling you know, that, that I think that some of the names you mentioned could really get in the mix. I mean, you you know, you obviously Lee Westwood is a name that, that hasn't won a major yet, but I feel like he falls right under this, right? A guy that, that tends to play well at this golf course, totally understands, that has been playing some great golf this year. So it, it's just this year, 2021, we've seen this run of older guys playing well. You know, we've got a couple of guys in their 40s that won in the in the early part of the wraparound season in, in, uh, in Brian Gay and Stuart Sink. Um, obviously, we've seen some great play from Sergio, and yeah, I mean, we're just kind of waiting for some of the other names to step up. But it's, uh, 
I always feel like this is a place, I mean, we saw Freddie Couples do it for what, like 30 years. It's a place that if you get Augusta, you can play it. And, and unfortunately for a lot of the players, if you don't get Augusta, if you're a Lee Trevino or a Martin Keimer, it, it's not, it just doesn't ever make sense to you. I think the other thing with the, if the weather holds off, if the, I saw there might be some rain uh, Friday, Saturday, if there's no rain and it plays firm and fast the way they're talking about it, I think that is only going to play into the experienced players' hands more this this year. Just because it soft Augusta is a lot different than firm Augusta, and all of a sudden being in the right place is magnified so much because, you know, chipping from the wrong spot is infinitely harder when the, when the greens have a little fire to them. My, uh, my second thing is uh, obviously something I think a lot of people are focused on Andy. Uh, and it's not some sort of a surprising thing, but it's, I think it's what my number one thing I'm circling is just speed. I mean, I just want to see speed at Augusta again, watching Jordan speed play Augusta was poetic early in his career. It was, he was the next guy, you know, I mean, I, I feel like when you start to tick off the names, that just seemed to get here every year, and and the goal, and it was they they were going to be in contention. I mean, they might not win, but they were going to be in contention. Um, it was Jordan Spieth. I, I saw there was this crazy stat that our our boy Justin Ray sent out. Spieth has already led or co-led nine rounds at the Masters. There's only four players all time with more: Jack Palmer, Player, and Woods, and Tiger's ten. It's unbelievable. That's the number. If he has one more, he ties Tiger's number. At Augusta National, you know, obviously getting the win is getting the win. I don't think I'm going to go either way with that. If he wins at Valero or doesn't win at Valero, I don't think it hurts or helps his chances this week. But I just I'm excited to see Jordan Spieth play this golf course. To me, it's it, it's what we're supposed to see in the modern game is 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 this is the next Masters guy. I you know the thing with Spieth too is like even when he was. In dark places, the last couple of masters, not playing well, he's still getting around, still yes. making cuts. Like, I think the thing that amazes me always, and with no player I've ever, you get this playing competitive, like playing golf at a fairly high level. Like, there are guys that you just watch play, and you're like, I don't understand how he just did what he did. With, like, I imagine it's so frustrating for players that play with Speeth because. You know, you can walk off the golf course and feel like you've hit it so much better than him. And I think this this happened with Rory famously when he played with Spieth. And Spieth is all over the place. He's in these weird spots, he, but he's never in horrible spots. Like he he knows where to put it around the green so he can get up and down. But and then he just takes advantage of. And I think that's the thing. He's got this patience where he knows there are birdies out there to be made. But the key is his. His will to not give shots up is so incredible. And his ability to shoot 67 when you think about almost any other player in the same positions would have shot 74. You know, like it is an astounding thing. I'm so, the other thing, I'm just so happy he's back. I think going through what he just went through is going to be such a big thing for the rest of his career because I think it, it teaches him that it's not a given that is not like necessarily a foregone conclusion that you're going to be one of the best players in the world all the time. And the fragility of the game and all the work that has to go in, I think it's, it's just going to help him in the long run going through this doldrum that he went through. So we've always tried to find the next tiger. I think we all labeled Rory that 
I mean, it was easy to do. You know, Rory drove the ball unlike really anything we'd ever seen in our entire lives when he first came out and still to this day drives it incredibly well. Uh, Homa tells a story about playing with him with the Wells Fargo and he really never missed a driver all day. Instead, on 18, he kind of hits one and Max said he was going, okay, finally. And he said it starts drawing back middle of the fairway. It just He hit like a 12-yard draw there, not a six-yard draw. And he was like, this guy's a machine. This is crazy. But, you know, why is it that we have continued to skip over Spieth as the next Tiger. I mean, these their, their games are so similar, right? I mean, Tiger was longer. You know, Tiger was one of the longest guys in golf, much longer than, than everybody he was playing against in his prime, especially. But never a great driver of the golf ball would miss the drives in the right spot, much like what you were just saying about Jordan Spieth. I mean, I always think about where Tiger hit it on 11 at Augusta, you know, during his prime. It's like he'd always miss it right because he knew he could make par. He knew he's not going to hit a left. He's going to make six, right? And was an unbelievable iron player. Speed's an unbelievable iron player. And their refusal to make bogey, right? I mean, the mentality of, I'm not going to make bogey here. I don't care what I have to do. I go back to 15 all the time. You know, that last, that third round where he makes double on 17 on Saturday. You know, he hits it over the green on 18. And all of a sudden, you're kind of sitting there going, this could get bad for speed, right? This is not what he wants to do. And he hits that shot. That flop shot from over the green at 18 at Augusta makes par and, and obviously goes on to win. I, I feel like Speed's comparisons to Tiger are, are as close as anybody since Tiger's prime, yet we're always searching. We're looking at Dustin. We're looking at Rory. Now we're looking at Bryson. And I think the guy's been there the whole time. I think it's because the number one easiest thing to pick out from Tiger at an early age was his sheer overpowering nature comparison to other pros and because but it was that his was mind, though right i i know i know this is you know i think over time as he developed i think like spieth is more like a later tiger woods like maybe 2013 2011 tiger woods okay. where there had been other but like that that sheer overpowering nature and and i think the thing is is that nobody's tiger because nobody's been able to combine all of those things. Right. Nobody's got combined the the work ethic, the iron play, the the power, the incredible short game, the you know what you talk, what we both talked about, the you know refusal to give away shots. I think everybody's got some Tiger qualities, but in general, these great players are all missing one of them. Like you look at Rory, it's like. God, those like sh the short iron play just leaves you wanting more. But then you watch Tiger play it is prime short irons. It was like, okay, well, he's in the fairway. This is going to be 10 feet. Yeah. You know, even if it, it that, even if it wasn't 10 feet all the time, that's how you felt. It, there was an air of inevitability versus like Rory's got this air of unpredictability. Rory's one of mine. And, you know, the guy's, his record at Augustus, outstanding. His record in general, like, even when he's in these doldrums of struggles, like, you you look at his results and you're like, God, he, he finishes, like, top 10 every week. But Rory, at this point, I have no clue. Any result would surprise me. I actually, I kind of like the fact that he's coming in here. There's no expectation on him. For, like, the first time that I can remember in the lead into the masters, nobody is like, Oh, Rory is a favorite. Everybody is kind of, and I think not having that bright spotlight on him might be able to help. And like, as you know, now dealing with winter, sometimes when you don't have <laughs> expectations as a golfer, like you come out and you're always surprised. Like the first round, you're like, ah, oh, 
I didn't hit it that bad. Like I, but you had zero expectations. I think with Rory, one of the things that he's really struggled with, and I think this is you know where we could talk about differences besides the short iron play with Tiger, is like I think Rory struggles a little bit with the heightened expectation. I think uh, it's so wild to think about the confidence, right, for Rory McIlroy, considering what he's done with the golf ball his entire life. And um, the fact that he, you know, mentions things, maybe I'm not as good as I used to be, you know, after the PJ Championship. Uh, I mean, you know, Rory gives – Rory's one of those guys that gives us everything we ever asked for in a professional athlete, and then sometimes we grill him for it, which is ridiculous. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's just unbelievably honest, and he talks about everything, and he doesn't shy away from any subject. And there's a ton of respect, you know, on, on my end, on your end, you know, people that cover the game to get these things from a guy that is one of the, the top names and, and, and faces in the sport uh, is refreshing. I mean, I think about Dame Lillard, you know, my favorite player in the NBA now, and, and just how every time Dame talks, it's impactful. You know, every time he says something, I feel like I'm listening. I, I want to I go back and find clips from the night before if I fell asleep because I live on the East Coast and these games don't end until midnight. Yeah. And so, by the way, it's a, little, it's a struggle. Stayed up for the national championship game last night. Stayed up for the whole thing. It was like 11.45 when I went to bed. I don't know how people do it. But, yeah, I, I, I appreciate everything Rory says. Uh, you know, for me, I, I think you nailed it. It's, it's having no clue. You know, the problem is, is that you say what you said about expectations. And I agree with you that he's coming in with lessened expectations. I think about a couple of years ago, you know, coming in after the win at the players and the way he'd been playing. I think he had seven top tens in a row headed into the Masters. And we were all going, this is going to be it, right? And, uh, and it wasn't, as, as it continues to be, not it. But the moment that first tee shot happens on Thursday and he makes his first birdie and the first time he's on that leaderboard, I think the entire narrative changes. I think we all change when Rory does what we expect him to do. You know, the issue for Rory is he's got to get off to a better start. We've seen how brutal he's been in these opening rounds at the majors the last few years. Uh, and then we're actually on, on, on Tuesday's live from, we're going to dive into, I'm calling it that round. Rory continues to have that round at Augusta. And that's the thing he's got to somehow delete from his game plan is, is the, there's been just one round, one nine, one run for Rory that's basically ruined his chances. And no matter what he does on Saturday or Sunday when he's eight or nine or 10 back, it's just not going to be enough. That's the difference, Andy, now. I feel like with the talent on the PGA Tour and with the talent in professional golf is I think it used to be a lot easier to make up for a bad round, you know, especially a bad round early. And now at a place like Augusta National, when it's playing a little softer, like we saw in November, you just can't afford to shoot over par. I mean, if you shoot over par, you're not going to win. It's just you you can't make up the ground. There's too many good players that are always locked in. So, you know, I was going through this, you know, to look through some of the Rory rounds. It's like he's, he's you know, he's eight back, 10 back, seven back after the opening round or after the, after the first two rounds. Yeah. You got to be perfect going into the weekend if, if you're going to have even a chance to win. I know Kyle Porter uh, jokes about this all the time. You know, it's, well, if Rory shoots 65 on Sunday, it's like people don't shoot 65 on Sunday, you know? So he's got to shoot 70 on Thursday. Yeah. Don't shoot, worry about shooting 65 on Sunday. Shoot 71 on Thursday, and then you'll have a chance. Exactly. And I think that comes with that heightened expectations. It, it's, it's, it makes it hard to get off to a good start. I look at championship golf, too, and I think that there's always a six to nine hole stretch outside of the just utterly dominant performances. In every major, the, the guy that wins has a six to nine hole stretch where he does not hit the ball very well and the wheels can come off and it becomes about how 
they manage and get through that stretch, whether they make bogeys and doubles or if they're just if they get make those ten footers, those twelve footers that save those clutch pars that feel like birdies after the places they've been. Like it is so pivotal, and it's okay for Rory to have that that bad stretch out of the gates. But what it's turned into is is like what you said. It's like forty one on a nine. It's like. You should, right, Rory McIlroy should not shoot 39 uh, nine holes, especially at Augusta where the par fives, he doesn't, he hasn't been feasting on the par fives the way he used to feast on them. I feel like. Well, and, and, and one more thing on this, and, and then I'll, I'll, I'll throw out another one at you is to your point, And I, I agree with you, that stretch, you know, that run you talk about where everybody has them. I mean, outside of, you know, a few of the, the incredible dominant wins or, you know, the great runs we've seen, I, I agree with you. There's always that stretch, right? What that says to me is short game because your short game's got to get you out of those stretches. You know, you've got to be able to get it up and down from a bunker. You've got to be able to make a 12-footer for par. And when we circle the parts of Rory's game that's lacking, that's less than, those are the parts. I mean, he's just never been a great scrambler and he's never been a great putter. And so when you look at those things, when you're not hitting it great, you've got to lean on the short game to get you out of it until you find it again. And these pros find it. In five holes or eight holes or nine holes, they find the swing again. They find what was not working. I, I mean, go back, you know, you, you go back to 97. And again, we've talked Tiger a lot. But just to go back to 97 and think about Tiger opening his Masters and shooting 40, and you're kind of going, okay, you know, he didn't have it. This is this is strange. You know, but he could, when he found it, it was 30 on the way in, right? And when he found it, it's still getting, getting in and under par. And so, and to me, that's so much about the short game. Sure, he could you know, attack these par fives and hit it close on 15 like he did and things like that. But it's the short game that saves you. And when you look at any great player, any great run they've had to win a major or to kind of keep the ship afloat, it's almost always, you know, getting the ball up and down in a couple of bad spots, making a couple of great par saves, and then you get a chance to make the birdie or eagle. Yeah, the the small things, like, it's easy to look at strokes gained and say, oh, short game's the least important part of the game, but when you reach the highest level of the game and the highest level of championships with the best players in the world, the littlest things are the things that separate the great and the winners from the guys that finish 10th. Like, the line, like we, we've talked about already in this podcast, that line is so thin and it's just the simple little things. I I even think back to like the Anwa just this last weekend. Like Migliaccio, she hit it in the bunker like so many people did on 18. But she gets it out. She's still got a wedge in. And she got up and down unlike a lot of people from that position. It's like it's when you have to chip out because you're in a bad spot. And you get up and down and you make a par. And it feels like you made a birdie. Like those are the things that just in, in a competitive and championship setting are the things that just make you go because it's so mental. You have to have that positive vibe and Rory more so than almost anybody is like, he is so easy to tell when things are going and when he's yep. got it going, like in a way he's a little bit of a front runner, you know? <laughs> um, so uh, one of my things is uh, we have as good a shot as ever to see a back-to-back winner. I, I have this on my list. Yeah, you know, you, you go back to 2016, uh, as good a chance as ever to see somebody win back-to-back. But, you know, I mean, who better to do this than Dustin? I haven't seen it since 2002 uh, with Tiger hard to do. Not a lot of back-to-back winners at any major championship, much less the Masters. But I feel like this is as, as good a chance as we're ever going to see to see somebody do it again. Do you feel, this is kind of what my note on DJ was, do you feel in a weird way that he's 
like flying under the radar. He's yes. the number one player in the world. He won. He won in dominant fashion, like a, a record-setting performance. And somehow, like the air, uh, the vacuum of coverage. You've got Spieth and you've got Bryson, and JT is is obviously a favorite, but like. It, somehow DJ is not really being talked about as much as I think we should. And I don't understand, like, sure, he has he didn't play well at the WGC or the players, but, you know, the players, he can't hit driver a lot of places there. Like, it, it kind of mitigates the, it, and then he didn't make it out of his pool and match play. But, like, he, we just went through a stretch where he went from the PGA on. He went T2, 1, 2, second, T3, which was a win at the tour championship, a, a shadow shadow T third win in in the net division T six T two first T eleven first T eight. I mean, like that. It's insane. We're like two months removed from that stretch of golf, and somehow it seems like he's kind of flying under the radar. And the best part about it is, Andy, is I don't think it matters either way to Dustin, right? I think there's so many players. You brought up Rory. I think that helps. I think over the last few years, it was nice for Jordan Spieth not to be, you know, captain featured group and to be the guy that was kind of featured in every tournament every single week. It, it, we allowed him to kind of breathe and try to figure things out on the golf course. For Dustin, I don't think it matters. I mean, I think Dustin goes about his business the same each and every week, whether it's a major championship, uh, it's a PJ Tour event, if he's playing, uh, you know, a charity event, whatever the thing may be. I just feel like Dustin's mentality is very similar and his approach is very similar. Like Dustin's one of those guys to me that is that has figured out his process, right? I think there's so many players still searching for their process. You know, they're still searching for what's the best for me this week. I'm working on this. I'm trying to tweak this. To me, Dustin has figured out what works best for him. And, you know, some week he goes out there and has a great week and some weeks rarely he doesn't. But yes, I, I absolutely get that feeling of Dustin kind of flying under the radar as the defending champion. You know, he speaks today with, with the media. So, you know, we'll get some stuff out of that as well. Uh, that You know, they obviously have the Champions Dinner on, on Tuesday night. So we'll get stuff out of that as well. But for a guy that just won a few months ago here to kind of snag, to me, the, the really important major championship for his career, the second one, as you said, kind of off the top, uh, to kind of open the, open the floodgates, if you will, for Dustin Johnson to maybe win five or six majors in a, in a latter part of his career. I, I, do, I do sense that he's... He's not. He's a little bit of the forgotten number one. And the just like we we talked about with two majors getting to three, crazy. When you, especially when you put up his his PGA Tour resume, which is just astounding. His WGC, his his uh, playoff record. I mean, he he only wins big events, <laughs> and if he gets the three majors, it is a. He is probably by far the greatest player of his generation. If you take. 10 years on either side. Um, I know he might butt into, bite into tiger, but from Ricky to, to Sergio area, he's by far the best. And it's preposterous that he's Ogilvy talked about this on my pod. Uh, after the last masters, he told a story about playing a practice round with DJ at Augusta. It was like maybe his first time out there. And he, he talked about how he was just, he, he played nine holes or I can't remember exactly how many holes. And he walked off and he goes, oh my God, I, I just saw like the guy that's built to play at this golf course. <laughs> you know, it's like, he's like, it just was so easy for him. And, and I think that's the thing is he's had just unbelievable stretch of top tens. It's, he can play bad and finish six here. Again, kind of going back to what 
is so cool about the Masters in terms of the players. You are a get it or don't get it player. Dustin is in that camp of get it. I mean, each and every year he's going to be in contention. We know what he's done on these par fives. He, you talk about Rory struggling on, on the par fives. You know, Dustin feasts on the par fives at Augusta. He always has. I mean, you know, when you combine um, strength and, and obviously incredible accuracy with the irons, that's going to happen. But the way Dustin plays the par fives makes me think of that 2000, 2001, 2002 stretch for Tiger when he played these par fives. And it just seemed like he'd have 10 feet for eagle each and every hole. Yeah. So 46 players have three majors or more. So it gets from 84 or 83 to, to 46. Pretty good jump. It basically cuts in half every major you add that that number. Andy, I got a, I got something that, that's concerning as my next thing here. Uh, it's concerning as as a left-hander. We do we have a serious lefty this year? What about year Big that Shot can, Bob? That well, so I you know it's I mean Phil yeah, obviously here. Mike Mike Weir's here. Brian Harmon's in the field who's been playing great, and then uh, Bob McIntyre as you mentioned. <laughs> but we had that great run of of southpaws at Augusta National, and then I, I'm a little concerned with with the crop we have now. I mean Phil is you never know what the heck Phil's going to do. I mean, you know, I, I think Brian Harmon could 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 play Augusta well. I think Bob McIntyre could play Augusta well. But uh, gone, gone are the days where, you know, one of the top two or three favorites was a left-hander. We've got a, a dearth of left-handed uh, talent. And, you know, I can't think of any young left-handers outside. McIntyre, there's a... Uh... There's a really good Australian, young Australian, like a teenager who just turned pro, Elvis Smiley, who I think is a left-hander. But I can't think of uh, many high-profile young Americans that are lefties. I apologize to anybody that I'm, I'm disregarding here, but all the big na- young names are, are all right-handers. This is a sad day for you lefties. Yeah, Akshay is kind of the guy we're leaning on right now. I mean, he, he's Akshay's got a chance, right, if, if he could find it. But... uh. I mean, outside of that, yeah, it's uh, we had we had a great run. The lefties had a great run. We leaned on Bubba a lot. You know, Bubba was unbelievable, and you never know, right? With Bubba, who knows what he could do when he shows up? But it was a stretch. I'll say that. I feel like our our great stretch might uh, might be ending. You, the thing too is like you would think that there'd be more of a lefty explosion because when you were growing up, lefty equipment was like hard to find still, and so now hard. all these kids. They could get lefty equipment is readily available in some cases more available than right-handed equipment, and and now we've got this. And, and where are all the lefties? It it could be a great investigative journalism piece. Do you think there's something maybe golf coaches can't coach lefties as well as righties because there are so few left-handed golf coaches? Maybe this is where the deep-rooted problems exist. The um, when I was in high school, the only golf club I really wanted in my life was the Titleist PT three wood. Do you remember that thing? I uh, think it was the one. T- did I still have one? one. I have one. Yeah, it's the amazing. head was the size of like a dime. You know, that thing was tiny, uh, and I always wanted one left, and I could never find it. I'm pretty sure. So there was a kid named Drew Pig who was a lefty out of out of the Dallas area. I think he played for one of the Plano schools. I remember, I believe he had one, and I remember I seen at AJGA tournament, and uh, I, I'm I'm not really a, much of a, fa- a thief. I, I'm, I don't really like like to consider myself someone that wants to go steal things from people, but uh, the thought at least crossed my mind to go, you know, I could just go walk by this guy's bag, and all of a sudden I'd have the PT three wood in my hands. But that was the lefty club of all the lefty clubs that I wish I would have had in my back in my heyday. 
I occasionally put the PT in the bag, but I need to be in one of uh, in a groove, like where I know the last few times, <laughs> the, the, the last few times out, I've been playing well. When you put it, when it, the ball's on the ground and you're hitting like a second shot into the par five, you're just looking at it and you're like, please hit this airborne. <laughs> please hit it airborne. Well, that, I mean, the head the is di- like the size of the ball. That's the difference in... So and then and then you go to the other side of it at the same the same time right you had the tight lies and the Orlemar three woods come oh, out Orlemar was incredible paper thin and those were awesome on the fairways but when you had to tee them up I would always stand over them going don't make a dummy mark don't make a dummy mark don't make a dummy <laughs> mark you know because you had to you had to have the smallest peg in golf history to, to peg it up with with those things so we needed to find the great combo of those of those of those fairway woods I will die on the hill. That the Sonar Tech was the greatest three wood of all time. The SSO three. I played golf with somebody with one recently. I still have mine. They're in the garage. I haven't used it. But somebody had one and they were they were playing with it and I was so envious. Now that I think about it, I'm back. I might be putting it back in the bag. This is what this is what people people wanted to hear. Uh what do you have as as, as one of your five things? I've got the the young crop of players. So I'm I'm looking okay. at Sung Jay, Morikawa, Hovland, uh Neiman, all these guys. They they've now for the most part all had one trip around Augusta, which we we know like hey, expectations are what they are the first year. Like get somebody get in contention, but you know, likely winning your first time around. So so slim. Um but we see like we've talked about with Spieth, like these guys that just gravitate towards Augusta's success where they just play this golf course better than their peers. And I'm really interested to see if we start to see some trends emerge. Uh, the big one would be, does Sung J.M. contend again? If he does, is he this Augusta Iron Man of, of these young you know, 23, 24 year olds that have kind of exploded into golf and are household names now? Or is it Morikawa? Like Morikawa seems to have all the skills that you want in terms of a, a Augusta thoroughbred, you know, the iron play. Um, obviously, putter can be a little shaky. I think short game is kind of the underrated thing at Augusta, though, is the one. And, and that's where I love Sunday. Pitching. It's, it's, it's pitching, right? I mean, I, I, I always say we, we talk so much about putting, right, at Augusta National. And we've seen unbelievable putters win at this golf course. But we've seen some pretty bad putters, you know, in terms of statistics in, in professional golf win here. I mean, you think about Adam Scott of recently and you think about Sergio. But Sergio is great pitcher. Unbelievable. Like maybe the most underrated pitcher of the golf ball of all time. Because everybody, like the way he drove it, the way he hit irons was mesmerizing. But the way he pitched, his short game has been so underrated for 20 years. So I want to piggyback on what you just said as one of my things. And, And one of my things is Justin Thomas. And it kind of plays into the same thing because Jordan Spieth maybe tainted the way we look at young players who play Augusta. I mean, we saw what Tiger did in 97. took a long time before we got another young player kind of bursting on the scene, having a chance to win his first Masters and then winning his second, right? Um, For Justin Thomas, it's taken a little bit of time to understand Augusta, which is a natural progression. I mean, that's what typically happens at this golf course. So JT at the Masters, 2016 T39, 2017 T22nd, 2018 T17, 2019 T12, 2020 fourth is that is that a good trend 
Yeah, and I would say I would say it's helpful. Uh, I would say if you own stock in Justin Thomas, you're making money. Uh, it's life. Life looks better than worse. So you know when you when when that's the way it's going. Obviously, it's a guy that's getting more comfortable and understanding the golf course. You know, maybe we play up at some places experience. I think this is one of the places where we probably don't talk about experience enough because obviously it, it, it it's huge, right? I mean, understanding what to do. You know, Lee Westwood talked about it in his press conference just about the experience around this place. Uh, Bryson talked about trying to get more comfortable uh, with his iron shots, his approaches in to greens and making sure he's in the right areas where the whole locations are going to be cut. So when you talk about experience, this is the place you've got to talk about it. For JT, I mean, it, you know, and now he's got to finish third, second or, or win, right, to, to continue that upward trend. But I feel like he's in a place where that could easily happen. So for me, when you talk about these young players, sure, it'd be great if Sungjae went out there and won this week. And I think Sungjae's going to have an unbelievable chance at winning with the way he's played at, the, at Augusta National in November went the way he's played this year. But for a lot of guys, it's looking at what Justin Thomas has been able to do over the last few years and trying to replicate what JT has done. Let's, let's improve each and every year, and then we can get to a position where we have a chance to actually win this thing. With JT, last year I thought he played as well as DJ. It was just a few big mistakes that cost him. It was, you know, I, he made the... I mean, a double or a triple in one of the early rounds that, and it it's just these little things. But when you look at all of his skills, he drives it unbelievably well. His iron play is he's one of the five best players in the world with uh, with his irons, and then he's a great. He's got an unbelievable short game. Some of those shots around the greens I, that he hits are just outstanding and he he's got a different style like it's not everything's not just like it doesn't seem like everything's just auto lob wedge he hits some really crafty little bump and run so you know he, he has the requisite shots and the shot making ability that i think it suits so well at augusta and i think where the struggle has been and i don't know if this is real or not but when i think about players that utilize green reading books heavily maybe highest usage on tour, he falls into the bucket. And I think that is a big deal playing golf when you're used to playing with a green reading book and going to Augusta where they are not allowed. It takes time to learn those greens. Like then that's why maybe experience matters here more than anywhere else is one of the factors is like, you don't get this tool that tells you contours. Like I know they're very complex to use, but you know, JT and, and Bryson is another guy. Bryson, you know, he's probably better at using a green reading book than anybody in the world. And he doesn't get to use that. And he, he talked about it in a, I saw a clip that a follower sent from uh, the Aussies Fox Sports where he talked about like how it's a challenge. Like I used to read greens when I was a, in junior golf. Like that's the, la that's the last time Bryson played without green reading books, junior golf, except for this tournament once a year. So it's definitely, and you can point to JT, like where he was historically, like one of the worst putters ever at Augusta, his first few years out here. And, and all of a sudden that's turning around, he's comfortable. And uh, I think that's, like you said, a perfect example of the progression of a young player. And I think he will be a factor at, at Masters for maybe decades to come. Uh, he, made, he made four sixes in 2020. For the yeah. week, four sixes. If you remember, he bogeyed 15, he bogeyed 13 one round, bogeyed two one round, made a double on one uh, in the second round. So, I mean, he, he made the numbers you can't make, right? I mean, it just kind of goes back to things you can't do, right? And you just kind of can't bogey 13 and 15. And you definitely can't bogey multiple times uh, throughout the week if you want to have a chance. That's how important those holes 
are, especially in a week like this where we think it's going to play tougher, you've got to take advantage of the holes you can take advantage of. So that will be something that'll be worth watching, right, is, is how he's going to get around and, and how we can avoid those mistakes. And also, I mean, you, you said it, uh, you, you've said it multiple times about being a great pitcher. I think Justin Thomas is an unbelievable pitcher. I don't know a guy that holds out more from off the green than JT. It's something when you're a great ball striker like Sergio or like JT is, I think that the ability, the pitching, because we don't see it that much, gets overshadowed. It's just, he's so good. It's so much fun to watch him hit shots around greens. My last one, the AMs. This is the smallest group of AMs we've had in forever. I I feel like they must feel lonely. You know, they don't have, and it's talk about like, you don't want to finish last in AMs. There's only, what, three of them? Right. It's like, it's like, it's such a condensed battle for low AM. And being low yes. AM at the Masters is such a huge thing. It's such a historically huge thing. I mean, I always think about the moments in those in those you know four day tournaments, right? At at the Masters, and I think about the U.S. Open, I think about the Open Championship, about being low and there, and the list of the historically great players that tick that off their list. It's really hard to win U.S. Amateurs. It's really hard to win U.S. Junior Amateurs. I mean, when you go through the list of the players that we talk about these days, how few of them won U.S. Amateurs, right? Dustin Johnson never won one. John Rahm never won one. Um, Justin Thomas never won one. I mean, kind of going down that list, right? But to be low am is something attainable for, for these players. And it's something that we've seen from Nicholas and Palmer and Tiger and, and Phil and all of these greats, you know, uh, Speed on down the list, Bryson. And so to, to go out there and be low am is a stepping stone of the greats. And so when you have a small group like we do this year, it's really important to go out there and play well because, again, this this means something. Low amateur means something at these huge golf events. Yeah, totally. I and, and it's just uh, yeah, unique opportunity where you can easily finish last of the AMs and easily finish first because there's only three of them. It's uh, it, it's wild. Again, I, I think uh, you know, there's so many cool traditions. Obviously, at Augusta National for Masters Week, you know, the way the the AMs are celebrated is is one of my favorite parts of it. Um, you know, how much they're talked about, uh, how much respect goes around with what they've been able to accomplish in their career, how much, how much, how much love we give them for what they did to get here. Obviously I'm a huge fan of amateur golf and kind of getting a chance to cover those amateur events with Fox and the USGA, it it opened my eyes up to a world that I didn't even know existed uh, in certain, in certain parts of that. And so to kind of see that celebration happen at the biggest stage in, in professional golf, uh, in the biggest stage of golf is, is something that I, I really appreciate it. And really to come off the Augusta National Women's Amateur into Masters Week and uh, and seeing the way uh, the amateurs are treated, it, it's 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 really, really, really special week. And so, yeah, who's your pick? Who's your low-end pick? I think it, the you got to go with Strafacci. He's by far the highest ranked. That said, he's coming off an injury. He hurt his ribs, so he hasn't really played much golf. So that's the one, one kind of uh, alarming thing. Who about, what about you? Who's your pick to win, too? I was thinking about this throughout the week. I just, I love Sung Jay's chances. I, Andy, I try not to go with a chalk pick when I do these because picking stuff is ridiculous to begin with, especially in golf. But I, I try to go with somebody that's not right there, you know, that, that's not the top five, that's not the top eight, that's not the most obvious. I like Sung Jay going in. I, I think Sung Jay's got a great chance to get himself in the conversation again. So, 
I, I think the easy picks, JT or Spieth or DJ or, or whomever, but I, uh, I think Sungjae is, is who I'm kind of circling is who I think has the, mo- the most likely chance to, to, to do something special. Yeah, I think obviously when you remove Rom, DeChambeau, JT, DJ, and Spieth, then you get a little bit, it opens up a little bit. You know, I probably am going to pick one of those five. I'm still not sure who I'm going to pick, but... You're not going to pick Westwood? No. He's broken my heart too many times here. <laughs> I, uh... You know, I'm kind of... I'm, I'm sneaky thinking Hideki's got a good, uh, good shot. He hasn't done anything well recently, but... Maybe an underrated pitcher as well. I mean, I think that's kind of what we're circling, at least on this podcast, is uh, if you're going to look at somebody to, to love this week, I'd, I'd, I especially, Andy, especially if we're going to see it fast. I mean, if, if it's going to stay like this and I'm expecting it to stay like this, if it's going to be firm and, and, and play, you know, really, really tough Augusta National, it's going to be so important to, to be able to get the ball in and around the hole when you miss screens because you're going to miss screens. So uh, those are something it's to just think a, about. It's going to magnify, it's going to magnify hitting into the greens and then hitting around the greens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cause you're going to admit you're going to miss greens. Hey, real quick. People are going to see or hear more of you. That's exciting. I didn't even know about this until we started recording. What's that this week. They're going to hear more from you than just live from, right? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm getting, I'm a part of, uh, I'm a part of uh, the masters.com digital coverage as well. Um, which starts obviously it's on exciting. Thursday. So super pumped about that. Uh, I feel you know, you, you pinch yourself sometimes when you get these opportunities. And um, this is obviously as, as big a pinch as I've ever uh, I've ever done to myself, you know, getting a chance to, to, to be a part of that. So very honored, very excited. It's uh, again, it's just it's just wild to get the opportunity to be here and, and, and get a chance to kind of be a part of these teams is uh, it's such a cool thing. And, you know, I, I I still go back to 04. You know, I was a left hander in East Texas. It was Easter Sunday. We were at my aunt's lake house. We had like a I don't know, a 20 inch TV in one of her bedrooms with, you know, rabbit ears and Phil's going to win his first masters potentially. And Phil was my guy. And, uh, and I mean, it was the moment of all the moments as a kid, I remember, uh, that was the one that really kind of comes to mind was, was Oh, for Phil, uh, having that chance there and obviously pulling it off with the putt. I remember there was like 15 of us huddled around this very small TV watching the end of it. So to kind of be here in this capacity now, Again, it's 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 pinch it's pinch worthy. That's for sure. So I'm very fired up for the week. It's uh, nothing better than getting the uh, the soothing tones of Shane Bacon's voice in your living room on Thursday and Friday mornings. You know, you're going to be with us before the coverage comes on. I feel like that's the you know masters.com probably i would love to know the ratings that it would get because i feel like everybody thursday morning there's no heightened more heightened excitement about the masters than thursday morning very very excited excited for the week um i uh, i'm about to go back out there in a few minutes i'm gonna take a shower and go out and uh thanks for the time of course of course uh anytime you know that but i uh i'm excited about it so yeah uh thanks for the time as well i always love chatting with you I knew, you know what? We only overlapped like one or two things. I was very proud of us. We did we not, by the way, we didn't bring up Brooks Kepka once on this podcast, Andy. We didn't, I don't even know if we mentioned his name. He's got, he's going to have the receipts. We're going to be getting tweets at us, maybe. (laughs) I know that's, that's a great point. It it does seem, it seems great here, real quick. It seems crazy to be able to swing a golf club all out, but struggle to walk. I mean, I, I told you I watched that Tiger doc on HBO and they focus obviously a lot on his injuries and, and him being injured and playing through it. And you see him and, and he would literally be wincing to kind of stand up and to, to kind of extend the knee. 
and then he's hitting you know these three woods on greens and stuff and, and it's just i don't know if it's the it's accepting the pain in your brain you know over the golf shot going i'm gonna make a move who cares if it hurts i can deal with it knowing that the golf swing is such a short amount of time but something to these guys man they're they're a different breed to go out there at with, with a major injury and to be able to play through it is uh, is pretty crazy. And so, hey, whatever he does this week, uh, mad respect for, for him just showing up. Well, thanks so much for the time, Shane, and uh, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. This episode was edited by Meg Atkins and Garrett Morrison. And a quick reminder, we've got a couple pools that are free to enter, free to win. Uh, you know, you get your chance to win free merchandise. So you can go on and sign up for those. If you're subscribed to the newsletter or if you're on social media, those they've been posted there. We've got a Fried Egg Masters pool. It's really simple. Go on, fill out your winner and uh, you'll get a chance to win. And then we also have a shotgun start pool that's got about 25 different questions, and it'll be your chance to win some free gear. So sign up for those pools if you want to get in on a little extra Masters action. And thank you again for listening to the Fried Egg Podcast.